Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Hello, Jamba. 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 Podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Welcome to Ivy Church. My name's Anthony, and I'm so happy to um, be speaking to you today as we're going to finish up this series. Um, I'm going to ask with a serious question to start off with. I invite you to now think who is the person in your life who has hurt you? the most. Maybe it was somebody who treated you unfairly, talked about you behind your back, or they said it to your face, something that hurt you, brought you down, um, or they did something to you, or, or they didn't do anything to help you when really they should have done. Who is it? Maybe it was when you were younger. But you see, the time since doesn't really matter because it's not true that time is always a healer. Who was it? Who comes to mind? They walked into your life and hurt you or they walked out when you needed them most. You thought you could rely on them. You thought they'd never betray you, but they lied. They took somebody else's side against you. Even though you'd only ever helped them, served them, trusted them, they stole from you or spoke against you or took away your reputation or turned other people against you. They tried to ruin you or just spoil your life. You know, you could tell me yours and what they did. I could tell you some of mine, not having to name names, but you wouldn't have to say much before we'd agree it was not right. It was awful. It was unjust. It was undeserved. Maybe, to make it worse, they were not sorry at all. If you depended on them to give you an apology so you can move on, well, you're gonna wait forever. Either they didn't know or they just didn't care. They were right in their own eyes. Maybe they'd only be sorry it didn't work and hurt you even more. Maybe they're dead and gone now, so there's no point waiting for them to explain or, or say sorry, some hope of that. Who is it? What was it? Maybe you've never spoken about it, but we all have people from our past. Maybe you can't talk about this thing. You never shared it. It was unspeakable what happened. It wasn't a mistake. It was intended. It was vindictive. It was cruel. How do we respond when people have done evil to us? Maybe because of your faith, they persecuted you somehow. I remember a sergeant when I was in the police years ago who was like that, when he found out I was a Christian. I was just with leaders from many nations in the Middle East, Syria, Iraq, pastors, and now they really know what persecution's like. But they all nodded their heads when I was teaching them and I said somehow, it's even harder when it's somebody who says they're a Christian, a brother or a sister, when they, they should have known better but they definitely didn't treat you like Jesus would. They said what they should never have said. They did what they should never, ever have done. They acted the way we thought that they would never do. What's our response? For some of us, our natural response would come right out of the Bible. I mean, those Old Testament verses like Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20, that says, 
A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What people who quote this verse, thinking it means the Bible is barbaric or that God's okay with us getting our own back, forget or don't know, is that that law was actually set in place at that time in history by God to limit violence and retribution that was just spiralling. It says the punishment must fit the crime and no more. It was given at that point to restrain revenge and because for many hundreds of years, way back in Genesis chapter 4, a guy named Lamech set the standard for payback when he boasted to his wife after killing a man who hit him, that not only content with that, he said he would avenge himself 77 times. He's going to take out the guy's family and friends and his pets, you name it, 77 times. Remember that number, 77. It's going to be important later. Now, I imagine if somebody hurts you, most of us don't go and plan on a killing spree of them plus 76 of their relatives. We, we probably won't want to take out an eye or, or cut their hand off. But our tendency instead is not to bury them, but to try and bury the pain and the wounds somewhere, to push it all down, rather than deal honestly and openly with the damage that's been done. But because it, it doesn't just go away, the end result of that denial is a deep-seated root of bitterness, the Bible talks about. Not just towards them either, it can grow to infect and affect the whole of the rest of our lives and our relationships. How can we trust other people now? How can we even trust ourselves to not get fooled again? So instead we build a wall with ourselves on the inside. The truth is most people simply have no idea how to respond to the evil that comes against them. So as you think about maybe there's more than one face, as you consider your new life now that you're a Jesus follower, a supernatural follower of Jesus, we're coming to the end of this series, and this could be the one that actually brings the greatest life transformation, if we will let God work in our hearts as he wants to today, and make room in our hearts through forgiveness. We've seen in this series on Romans 12 that we must start out by surrendering our life, making God number one in view of God's mercy and grace to us. When Jesus went to the cross for our sins, our response to God is we surrender, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for him. So now we won't just go along with the way the world thinks and acts, but we're going to live separate from the world as the word of God transforms your thinking. That's number two. What about myself? How I think about myself? Well, I take a sober self-assessment of who I am, who God says I am and what I can do, the gifts that he gave me. And that means that then he can use me, number four, to serve in love those that he sends my way. But we're not done yet. Today, we're going to look at how we can supernaturally respond to evil that comes against me. I'm not talking about spiritual warfare so much today. That's maybe for another talk. Um, you know, it says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but actually what if the thing that's been holding us back from the fullest expression of that new spiritual life is a flesh and blood issue in a sense between you and somebody else and all the spiritual power that God wants to pour into you and through you is, is blocked in some way because you're holding on to that, that person, that history, that hate, that hurt. That's what we need to talk about today to live in the, the fullness, the freedom, all the joy and the power that he has for us. Because over and over in scripture, it's clear that the vertical relationship that you want with the Father, like it or not, 
is indissolubly, however you say it, linked with the horizontal relationship that we have with people on earth, including, no, especially the relationships that we have with people that we need to forgive. Now, these might be non-believers, people who are opposed to Jesus. And so if you're a believer, they're going to at times oppose you just for being his follower. I've just been traveling, connecting with pastors and some church members in some places like Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, the Holy Land, where such persecution is severe and normal. It's not occasional and mild. The spiritual reality is that such people could be sent or used by the enemy to destroy, derail or demonically attack you, partnering with that spirit of evil, even if they'd say they're a disciple of Jesus. No, it could be a church member, it could be a church goer that gets used in this way against us. So what do we do? Instead of my natural response, what does scripture say? It says that now I can supernaturally respond to evil by reaching up to God. How should I treat those people who just the thought of them may bring back that anger, that pain, that response? Resentment. That word resentment, by the way, literally means re-feeling it. I feel it over and over again. It's still hurting emotionally. Though I thought I'd pushed it down. It, it could have been years ago. The injury, the injustice, the loss, the betrayal took place. And I'm holding on to that and it's holding on to me. Let God speak now through Romans 12 as we wrap up the series. The Apostle Paul tells us very practically what to do to get that true healing and freedom in verses 14 to 21. And it starts with some positive commands. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then come some negative commands. This is what not to do. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, it's all summed up with the result. If we will do this, verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because the evil that somebody did to us can do something in us. It can overwhelm us unless we overcome it God's way. Now, even as I was reading through those words, some people in your own head, in your own situation, you're thinking, oh, how could I do that? How could I do that, humanly speaking? And the fact is, we can't because we're used to a natural response. You remember in the Bible, it says one day Peter came to Jesus and maybe he was annoyed by his brother Andrew. I don't know what was going on, but he asked Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times must I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, the rabbis at the time said three was the maximum by the way. So Peter, knowing Jesus by now, thought, well, I'll double that and I'll add one. So we're going to be on safe ground if I say seven. Maybe Andrew had already had seven chances and now it was getting ready for payback time. No, not seven, Jesus says. 
77 times. Do you remember that number from earlier? This means unlimited forgiveness instead of revenge. Stop counting, really. What a contrast with Lamech's way of getting his own back. Jesus never said, get your own back. He said, turn the other cheek. What does that supernatural response look like? Well, in all my talks in this series, I've pointed to one of Jesus' parables and he brings one here as well, straight after answering Peter. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One was brought to him who owed him 10 million pounds. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. But the servant fell on his knees begging, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Out of pity for him, master released him and forgave him the debt. But as soon as that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pounds. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe me. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw it, they were greatly distressed and reported it to the king who summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, Jesus said, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The story Jesus told Peter helps us to supernaturally know how to respond to evil. In another encounter, Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much will love much. Because yes, of course it hurts. And I count the cost of how much that person did to me. But something happens when I start to think about the free and full forgiveness that I've received and how God has treated me. That presses pause on that natural response to grab hold and say, give me what you owe me. Because God didn't give me what I deserve, but he always gives me what I need. And now Romans 12 works practically something of what that supernatural response looks like. The response that Jesus himself, who was completely innocent took when he was beaten, when he was flogged and brutally nailed to the cross, but he said, Father, forgive. When he forgave us, me and you, all of us, all of our sins, not seven of my sins, not 77, he stopped counting, but he said, I'm not gonna count them against you from now on. He practiced what he preached and he showed us how to have a better option how we treat those who mistreat us, not with vengeance, not with holding a grudge, but notice, it seems like letting them off, but really, letting God judge them means we go free. And if not, it's us who ends up in the prison. The parable puts it in money terms because when we're dealing with the feelings, we have to start by acknowledging the cost of what happened, just being real about it, rather than saying, oh, it, it doesn't matter, it matters because you matter. It matters what happens to God and it, and it matters to God that you be 
free. So we count the cost of what that person did. Now that's not just to rip the scab off an old wound. The truth is, this is how God wants to bring his healing into it. As we start to do what he prescribes. Remember Romans 12 contained two commands. These are not options. One is positive, one is negative. Then there's a promise, a word of hope that evil can actually be overcome in our lives with God's help by good, for good, for those who will do what God commands. So the positive command comes in the first part in verses 14 to 16. You could sum it up as bless those who persecute you. That's exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount 2, Matthew chapter 5. And then from there, he goes on to say this. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is how we become more and more like God. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What do you mean when he says bless? To bless means you ask, you pray for God's best for that person. To curse them would be to want God's worst for them. Disaster, failure, exposure. That everybody will see that I'm right and how terrible and evil they are. Jesus taught and modelled the supernatural response to evil when he died for you and me. When we did not deserve anything but death, punishment and judgment. The cross is where the ultimate good overcame ultimate evil with undeserved love. And he forgave me. He will always forgive me. As I said, not just seven times, seven days a week. So he doesn't say be passive. He doesn't say bury it. He doesn't say try and forget it or just get over it. No, it actually doesn't even stop with me. It's about how I treat them now. He commands that we act in love towards our enemies and it starts we could only ever do that when we pray even for those who persecute us why would we do that well because I want to be like him I want to be who he says I am son of the most high bearing the family likeness and this final mark of a supernatural disciple is the most staggering proof to the world that what we believe that our faith is true is real when we imitate Jesus when we're transformed to be like him treating others like God treats us because he sends rain on both the evil and the good. In the hot and dry Middle East, rain is considered a great blessing, by the way. So what does it mean to bless them? Well, ultimately, the greatest blessing is to pray for the salvation of that person, no matter what they've done. To pray God would save them, that he would show them, reveal to them his love in some unmistakable way, rather than condemn them even if they condemned us. How, how can I pray like that? Well, I remember the parable that I'm that servant who was forgiven millions, who's been forgiven so much by God, this great merciful king that I owe everything to and how he's forgiven me of so much. So I make the decision not to demand what this person owes me, even though they do. That's where the journey of forgiveness starts. See, our big stumbling block with this is so often we confuse the thought of forgiving the person who's done that wrong with a feeling rather than an action or a decision. Remember, this is commands. You can't command a feeling. See, we might feel like, I can't possibly do it. Or we feel like, I don't want to let them off the hook. We don't realise it's actually me on the hook because bitterness and hate can be like a cancer on the inside of us that keeps on growing and spoiling much of my life. 
And we're probably not even hurting them at all, by the way, but we are hurting ourselves. The way forgiveness is described here is a three-stage process. Stage one is to forgive. And that is commanded, so it's a choice, it's a decision, it's an act of will, it's not a feeling. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross so I could be forgiven of my sins. Forgiving starts not with doing what you feel like doing, but with doing what God tells you to do. Whether you feel like it or not, I could, I could pray, I could start to say the name of that person. I'm not feeling anything yet as I say the words, Lord, I forgive. And you say their name. You don't feel like it. And you don't go to them and tell them, I'm, I'm forgiving you, by the way. They might not even ever know. That's not the point. It could make it worse for you to go to them. If they've hurt you or abused you, that wouldn't be safe for you to do that. that isn't, you know, I'm not saying to do that. You're not saying it was right. You're not saying you're going to trust them the same way. You're not going to say they can keep on doing it or that there would be no consequences. There may well be consequences. But you decide from your point of view, as you pray, Lord, I forgive, whatever the name is, as you have forgiven me. That's stage one. Stage two, after the decision of obedience, forgiving is a process over time. What's going on in your prayers, on your lips, starts to transform your emotions. And this stage can take a long, long, long time. We might have to pray it over and over. The early prayers may just go so far as asking God to give them what they deserve. You know, there are psalms like that, aren't there? It's legitimate to pray and to be honest to God about what you're feeling. But the more I see how God doesn't treat me the way my sins deserve, that Jesus gives me mercy and grace, I let go of their throat. And something starts to change on the inside of me. And as I give away what I myself have received, that leads to stage three. Forgive, forgiving, forgiven. And now I'm free. Supernaturally, that situation may be the same. But the transformation happened in my heart by the Spirit of God. So I can move forward with an emotional experience of being able to walk into all the blessings that God has got for me now. All the power that he wants to put into me and pour through my life. Because I've made room in my heart by releasing bitterness when I released blessing to this other person. I could tell some stories now if I had time of how by God's grace he's helped me do that. When pain, betrayal or a hurt, God somehow made it into holy ground, a new beginning. And it was a step up. New spiritual power flooded me because I let go of the weight that had been holding me down, that I'd been dragging around for so long. So how about you? How much blessing are you willing to forego because you're still holding on to bitterness? Or would you be willing to take a few moments now and ask yourself again, who is that person? Who is it in your life that you most need to forgive? And as you look at those three stages, what stage of the forgiveness process are you in right now? What's your next step? Maybe God's going to show you a way even to bless them. Yeah, they don't deserve it, like you don't deserve it either. It isn't always the case, as I said, that you should even contact or re-engage with that person, especially if you know that they're only going to want to hurt and abuse you again. I'd warn you not to do so. But if it's safe to do so, maybe, maybe you hear some bad news about them. What do you do? Maybe you send a note saying you're praying for them. Sorry to hear that. You don't want to rejoice over their misfortune. You want to rejoice with those who rejoice and 
weep with those who weep. Or you hear something good happen to them. And rather than resenting that, you rejoice with them that they got that new job, that they, they're in the new home, or, or maybe they lost somebody they love and you pray that God will help them and, and comfort them. I don't know what it looks like for you. That's between you and God and maybe this person. But Jesus said, you should love our enemies and do good to them. That's astonishing. But it's also what the sons and daughters of the Most High do. Because he is kind to the unloving, the ungrateful and the wicked. And there's times I've been all of those. So be merciful just as your father is merciful to you. Reach up right now to connect with his love and his mercy and grace that never runs out. Our supernatural response to these situations doesn't depend on the other person. It depends on that connection to God that I never want to break through Jesus Christ. He helps us do things we'd never naturally be able to do if we reach up to him, take hold of the grace that forgave all of our sins at the cross and pull that into our hearts, then we can supernaturally release something and we let go of the hurt and our hearts are free. And it's not really about that person now. We are released from that hate, that hurt, that history. We're free to live in a future that is a life of love. We're supernaturally overcoming evil with good.